by just going to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for, Lord, your wonderful gospel. We thank you for the saving grace of Jesus Christ. We thank you for his sacrifice, Father and Lord. As we study your word, Lord, please help us to open our eyes and our hearts to to what you have for us this morning so that we can be obedient, Lord, and that we can worship you. Lord, we pray that, that Lord, through all that we do as we go, that we can make your name famous. And we thank you for all that you've done in Christ's name. Amen. So if you if you have your Bibles, if you can find um, Hebrews thirteen, and we'll be going through verses seven through through fourteen this morning. And so while you're getting there, I'll give you a little bit of context on the passage really quickly. So we this book to the Hebrews it was written to to Jewish um, Christians um, in Jerusalem. Uh, in the period right after Jesus died and was resurrected, um, this book was written to give encouragement to the believers there. It's explaining, again, reiterating that Jesus Christ is the Messiah that the Old Testament proclaimed. And it is showing, is showing them and giving them encouragement in the gospel of Jesus Christ that they are doing... The, that they are to live according to what Jesus has told them, the scripture has told them, and they are to stand firm in, in their faith in the midst of a culture that was often against what they were trying to do. And this, this passage deals a lot with the idea of persecution, and so if we're going to talk about that, we have to understand a little bit about what persecution was like in that time period. So a lot of us have the idea that right after the birth of the church that everybody was being murdered all the time. And that did happen. People were, were killed um, for their faith uh, by not only um, Jews, as in this context, but also Romans um, that did not like Christianity, that wanted worship of the Romans, that wanted worship of the emperor. But that wasn't always, always the case. It, it ebbed and flowed. So there would be big pockets of, of persecution, and that's what we read about in our history books. But other times it was just kind of flat, and people, of course, generally didn't like Christians. They thought they were weird, and um, however else you want, you want to put it, very similar to what we may face every day. Like, there's those weird Christians that follow Jesus, and they're always doing the right thing, and, and they don't do this or that or the other with me because they believe that it's wrong, and they worship this guy called Jesus that supposedly rose from the dead 2,000 years ago. That's generally kind of the, the, the reaction that we receive from others quite, quite often. It's, it's not uncommon. It happens. And in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, that was often what believers faced every day. Now, thankfully, we don't have the danger, I don't think, of persecution ramping up and, and us getting physically 
persecuted for our faith. Um, many Christians in other countries do deal with that, but thankfully, thankfully we don't. However, as we are studying this, this passage, I want you to see, see the point here. The main point is that if we stand with Jesus, we will bear his reproach with him. And that's basically like the disdain that people have for Christ. We will bear that with him. But we have hope for the future, and we can find strength in our Christian leaders and ultimately in Christ himself. That's the, the main point that I want you to grab from this passage today. And so let's read the text, and, and we'll get into it. It says this, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. Also, So also Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. So how does, how, how does this happen? Why, why, do we, why do we bear the reproach of Jesus? Well, fundamentally, it's, it's because if we are believers in Christ, that we stand with Jesus. And this is, this is very, very unfair in some ways, and we feel that it is, and we should. But I just want to give you a story from my own life to kind of illustrate how this works. Um, and normally I use myself as a, a negative example. I, I normally don't use myself as a positive example, but today the story just kind of fit. So when I was a, I was a kid, um, I was in elementary school, and I had a classmate who had cerebral palsy. And one day we were there, and the kids, I mean, they were picking on, on him pretty, merc- pretty mercilessly. Um, and so I, I went up to them, and I kind of got in their face, and I was like, hey, you can't do this. Don't pick on him. He doesn't deserve that. And they stopped. They did. But as they grumbled under their breaths, I knew that because I had stood with him, then the disdain they saw in that, in that guy, that kid, was now going towards me as well. And it's because I stood with him. It's because I, I simply said, look, my allegiance is with this guy and not, and not with you. This is who I'm going to stand with. And so I bore their same disdain, their same uh, hatred and disgust. They put that on me as well. And that's the kind of idea that we're getting at here. I'm sure you all have, have stories of similar things happening to you. And so, as we begin, what does the writer tell us to do? The writer of Hebrews tells us, first of all, 
that we are to remember our leaders, those that, that led us. To consider their way of life and imitate their faith. What he's saying is, as you deal with the, living the Christian life, as you go through your day-to-day struggles, your day-to-day trials, no matter what they would be, look to those who have faithfully led you. Faithfully led you. And now I know that, that we all can think of somebody like that. And most of us, what we're thinking of is you're thinking of your pastors or your leadership team or whomever. But I want you to realize that this also applies to, to just about every one of us in this room. Because as believers, we are fundamentally called to lead somebody. And, and why is that? Because the Great Commission tells us that we are to go make disciples. To be a disciple maker. And so fundamentally, no matter who you are, if you are a believer, you are leading someone. But this, this applies to to your small group leaders. This applies to the people in your children's ministry. This applies to mothers. This applies to fathers. This applies to even someone who's just simply discipling one other person. And so if we are to be leaders that people can look up to, we must stand firm in our own faith. We must follow Christ in obedience no matter where we are because if you have recently heard any news in, in the Christian world, you've realized somebody has fallen somewhere. You've seen a leader fall somewhere, someone you may have looked up to, and how horrible is that? It breaks churches apart. It literally does. And so... If we're going to be people that can be remembered, that people can look to to find strength in the worst times of their lives, then we must be good and faithful leaders. And especially you, fathers and husbands. I, I grew up in church all my life, so I've, I've seen a lot, of, a lot of different people in a lot of different places. And I've seen this. This one simple thing my wife and I talk about it a lot. That if a husband or a father goes to church, his wife will go to church, his kids will go to church, and most likely, most likely, those kids will one day grow up to be believers. Not always, but mostly. And the important thing to realize is, is that those people, sometimes guys, but more likely girls, if they've had a father that has abused them or hurt them in any way, has been a horrible leader for their home, they have a really hard time trusting the goodness of a heavenly father. And so I'm calling you men, let's not be wimps in our leadership. Let's not be wimps in our leadership. Let us look to Christ as our example of the the ultimate leader. That brings me to to my next point. And I'll read uh, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4 for you really quickly before I get into it. So 
I exhort the elders among you as a, fellow elder, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in, char in your charge, but being examples to the flock. As when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So this applies, this is talking to our Christian leaders, but it also applies to all of you in leadership positions. Tells us to follow God's will, not for any other reason other than for the glory of God. Not for shameful gain, but for God's glory. But I want you to realize here in verse 8 that if you have been hurt by someone that was supposed to be leading you in this life, ultimately... Ultimately, we have hope because verse 8 tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. He is the perfect leader. He's never done anything wrong. He's never even said a bad thing to anyone. Never said one, one bad word. Never had one wrong action. He is perfect. And because he doesn't change, his gospel doesn't change either. And that's where we find our hope ultimately is in Christ Jesus. No matter the circumstance, no matter if we have been hurt or not. He is our perfect chief shepherd. And we follow him and his gospel, no matter what. And I want you to, to see here, moving forward to, to verse 9. It tells us not to, be, not to be carried away by strange teachings. You see, what was going on here was that they were, the, the Christians, the Jewish Christians were being faced by by these, these people that were going around and say, okay, well, you're, you're a Christian, fine, but if you want to be a Christian, then you have to, then you also have to do these certain things. You can't break away from the dietary restrictions of, which are laid out in the, the Old Testament because you are supposed to be a Christian. This is what you must be. And they had a tendency to, to lean toward that because that's part of their culture. And, and don't get me wrong, there is nothing wrong with keeping the, the food laws. If you, as a Christian, want to go keep the, the dietary restrictions and never eat lobster again, you can feel free. <laughs> but, but, what we have to realize is that these are 
no longer by binding restrictions. In short, we see that, first of all, in the book of Acts, as Peter has the dream about a sheet coming down with all these animals, God saying, take, eat, don't call unclean what, what I've made clean. We see that there. And, and we also realize that, that those laws were, were given to, to the Hebrew theocracy that they lived in in the Old Testament. They're not, and that particular, those dietary restrictions aren't applicable to to New Testament Christians. We don't have to follow them, though you can. The problem was, is that these believers were, had a tendency to find their hope in those things. They said, okay, well, we're going to do these things and we're going to be strengthened by this outward action. That's why the writer tells them to be strengthened by grace and the gospel and not by these foods. To be strengthened by grace that is found in Jesus Christ and not by these foods. He's making an argument to them because he wants them ultimately to see that, that they're never going to find any strength, any lasting, lasting hope in doing or following these, these dietary restrictions, that their hope is only in Jesus Christ and in His grace. What is, what is this likened to? Um, what, can we, what can we gain out of that? Um, a good, I guess, example of this and what they were, they were faced with because the culture believed, and you have to understand, the culture believed that this was the end-all, be-all. Follow these rules, do these things, and then you are right with God. This is what makes you right with God. To be circumcised, follow the Sabbath, and to follow the dietary restrictions. Those were the three main things that Judaism held to. And these Christians, on the other hand, were saying, no, it's Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah, and he's the one that we should look to for our hope, for our future. I, I think a good example of this is my, my wife, um, she grew up Catholic, and when she became a, a believer, um, and she was going to, to Faith Bridge Church, and and when she was about to get baptized, her, her parents thought that she was in a cult. They were like, why are you beginning baptized again? Why are you uh, giving more than a set $20 to the church every week? They said, you're in a cult. What are you doing? This is kind of, kind of similar. You see, they lived, they lived in, in their culture. They lived in Jerusalem. They were there with people that looked like them, acted like them. Um, they were just like them. They, they both sides rooted for, for the patriots. They were... <laughs> all, everybody did. N nobody <laughs> was any different. They were, they were Jews, all of them, and they... They followed the same customs. And so when these Christians began to break away a little bit and, and were looking to Jesus as their ultimate hope, these guys were like, that's the guy we killed. 
Yeah, he was a great teacher, sure. But that's the guy that we killed for being a heretic and saying that he was God because that's who they believe Jesus to be. But the author urges them to no matter what, to not be occupied by following some, some outward set of, of rules, but to look to the grace of Jesus Christ as their strength, no matter what. Moving forward, moving forward, we see the writer tells us that they have an altar for those who eat it, to serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. The bodies of those animals who is brought to the tabernacle are burned outside the camp. What is he referring to? He's referring to, he's pointing them back to, to the Old Testament when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. He's pointing them back there and he's saying, look, you remember this. That we had the encampment and then outside it was the tabernacle. And if you wanted to make a covering for your sin, you would have to take a, a, a lamb or pigeons or whatever else to bring it out there. And then the priest would, would kill it on the altar as a covering for your sins. But what he's telling them is that ultimately was an imperfect, imperfect covering that could never last. The blood of bulls, the blood of goats, the blood of sheep never lasted. But he's, he's saying that that was imperfect. But Jesus, in a similar manner, was led outside of the camp to be killed as the perfect sacrifice. And we come to the better altar the ultimate one. They faced the realization that they didn't go to the temple anymore. And everybody saw it and everybody knew it. They didn't go to the temple. They didn't make their daily sacrifices because they believed Jesus the Messiah was the ultimate sacrifice. We see, we see this best, Jesus being led outside of, of the city. Um, best in John 19, 17 through 20, it says, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him with two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic and Latin and in Greek. He was led outside the camp. Why is this important? It's important simply because, first and foremost, it's important that he's relating this back to the sacrificial system because the sacrificial system in the Old Testament ultimately points to Christ as the ultimate sacrifice. He died for them. He died for us. And it's only through accepting that sacrifice of Christ through his blood that we find any hope, any salvation for the future.
And so he calls those that have trusted in that sacrifice, that have trusted, to go outside the camp, meet Jesus there. Outside the camp, away from the rest of the people. Meet him there. What did Jesus do there? He died. He sacrificed himself. He bore the reproach, our reproach. The disdain of the elders as they sat and mocked him. Saying that he was king of the Jews, which he he was and he is in reality, but they meant it as a spiteful thing to hurt him, to wound him. Jesus bore that pain on the cross for us, and so we as believers must march out with him. To go stand with Jesus in this culture was a mark of, of reproach. It was saying, hey, it was saying that I, I want, I, I'm, it was saying that to say I want to stand with Jesus was to say my family's going to disown me. People are going to think I'm a complete weirdo and that I may very well be killed for this one day. And you Christians in this room are like, my goodness, Chris, why are you preaching this message? If there's any unbelievers here, they are never going to accept this message. Uh, I want you to hear, hear a story. And, and this story is, um, I, I was on an overseas mission trip when I heard it. I heard it from the guy that it happened to. And I won't tell you his real name or the country that he was in at the time. To, to try to keep it under wraps and, and protect not only him, but the people that are still there facing the persecution they face. Let's just call him Jim. It's not even close to his real name, but we'll just call him Jim. So he, he stands up in front of us in, in this meeting. We're, we're listening to his story and his testimony. He was a, his background, he was um, a Muslim he believed in, in Islam, and he had a friend in his country that was, first of all, brave enough to actually tell him that he was a Christian, that he believed in Christ, and he did that, and so, so Jim was interested, and so he kept coming back, and eventually he, he accepted Christ as his Savior. And so as you would think that you would do, he went to tell his, his wife because he loved her, and he, he wanted her to know about Jesus. She turned him into the police. He was taken to a, a black site, basically, off the grid by the police, and he didn't say what happened to him, but God only knows what happened to him there. And eventually he was brought up on charges. He was taken into the courtroom and the judge stood there and the judge said, it was a hearing, he said, when you come in here, I'm going to make sure you die. I want you dead. I'm going to make sure you die. Well, that night, the judge died of a heart attack in his sleep. 
and this is a true story, take that as you will. The judge died of a heart attack in his sleep, and the next judge was so scared to do anything to him that he, he let him go. Which was absolutely amazing, but the problem was is the police were still watching him. And so he, he couldn't he couldn't go to worship with, with his church anymore because then they would find out where the church was. He couldn't hang out with the other Christians anymore. He couldn't be with them. He couldn't be a part of a church because they would find out where it was. And so he had to flee. So he got on a plane and he, he left the country because Jesus is worth it. That's why. At the end of the day, when it all comes down to it, Jesus is worth it. Knowing that, knowing that makes, makes it all worth it. And upon accepting Christ as your Savior and Christians, you know this, that Jesus is worth it. May we all have the words... May we all be able to, at the end of the day, say the words that, that Polycarp said. Polycarp was a Christian. He, he probably thought that he studied under John the Apostle. He lived from AD 66 to 155. And, and he was one of the people that was captured during these times of ramped up persecution. When he was about to be burned at the stake and speared, he said these words. Eighty and six years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my King and Savior? You threaten me with a fire that burns for a season, and after a little while is quenched. But you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. I bless you, Father, for judging me worthy of this hour, so that I, in the company of the martyrs, I may share the cup of Christ. That was, those were his words. And whether they're true or not true, because it was a long time ago, it doesn't really matter. I hope that at the end of the day, those can be our, our words. No matter what we face, we bear the cup of Christ because he's worth it. Because he's worth it. We may face our own trials, hopefully not like these last two that I just mentioned. But we will face something. We will face something because of what we believe. And I hope that you realize that it's, it is worth it. Because in verse 14, he tells us that here on this earth, they don't have a lasting city. Now, they put a lot of stock in Jerusalem. That was their city. That was where the temple was. That's where everything was. That's where their families were. That was their city. That's where they lived. And it meant a lot to them. It meant a lot to them because they cared about about their, their area. They cared about the nation of Israel. They cared about Jerusalem. He says here, though, we don't have a city that's going to last. But we are seeking a city that is to come. Revelation 21, 1-4 says this. 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. That's what we're hoping for. That's, that's, you don't know why Jesus is perfect. Because upon belief in Jesus, you receive the life of Jesus. You receive that eternal life of Jesus. And one day, and one day, we will get to live in a perfect place with a perfect God as perfect people forever. Now that, that sounds worth it to me. And so I know that, that accepting the Christian life is not something that, that sounds, sounds like you'd be too eager to grab onto it after this message. But I want you to see that ultimately Jesus Christ is worth it. The Holy Spirit can put that on your heart and in your heart this morning. For you that are believers, I want you to be strengthened by that. I want you to realize that though the devil fights us, that we're fighting spiritual warfare in our hearts, not to share the gospel with the guy or the girl at work or the guy that delivers our pizza, though we're, though we're in a battle. And when that comes up, we know we need to share and we don't want to. Because it could be because of what they think. It could be because of how they act toward us. That ultimately Jesus is worth it not just for us, but for them too. Follow him to the end of the earth. To the end of all things. That's what he calls us to do. He wants us to spread his message and to follow him without fail no matter what happens. Remember the guy in the story that, that lost everything? but He lost his family. He hasn't seen his daughter in 14 years because he can't go back to his country ever again. That guy said... Jesus was worth it. May it be the same with us, who in comparison often have a much easier time. Maybe not all of us because of circumstances. We have a much easier life. A lot of us do. Let us stand with Christ, bearing his reproach. And those of you that don't know Christ, I urge you to respond to him in faith today. And so we will go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll close. Heavenly Father, 
You are a wonderful, gracious, mighty God. Lord, you, you rule the heavens and the earth. You are perfect, wonderful, and just. And Father, as we go forward as believers, Father, allow us to stand with you no matter what. Let us not be, let us not be as Peter was when he denied Christ three times on the night of Jesus' death. Let us be like Peter after Jesus' resurrection who praised him three times and ultimately gave his life as a martyr for Jesus Christ. Lord, let us have that, that change in our hearts if we have never, never done that. Lord, let us live with full abandon, full commitment to Jesus Christ. And Father, if there are any in here, Lord, that don't know you, Lord, please arrest their hearts right now. And let them see that Jesus is worth it. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.